what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. There are climate deniers who come out of the woodwork. Sometimes there's racism involved, saying like I'm some kind of spy for China. From time to time, the phrase high alert comes to the house, and, and that means being very diligent on who comes in, who goes out. They launched a campaign against me. Full-out websites, billboards, vitriol. Meet Melissa, Judy, and Sapora. These three women have a lot in common. They're activists working to curb climate change by taking on fossil fuels. They do this because of the unequivocal scientific evidence that says oil, gas, and coal are the major causes of global warming. And for all three, this work takes an enormous toll. Misogynist attacks and the sexism and the death threats started to increase dramatically. They're not alone. Back in 2019, former climate minister Catherine McKenna was assigned an RCMP security detail after an increase in threats made against her. When she was walking with her kids. A man pulled a car up slowly, stopping beside them, rolled down his window and yelled, F.U. Climate Barbie. There were so many threats, McKenna had to get plainclothes officers in the background as she campaigned. At the time, she said misogyny and climate denial seemed to go together. Coming to my office, other people having to see this, these women who work in my office, who volunteer. It's not just about my safety, it's just about what kind of country we want. I'm Molly Siegel, and this is Storylines. This week, we're heading to BC to hear the stories of three outspoken climate advocates. Their stories about verbal and online abuse, intimidation and threats but also stories about hope and determination to keep pushing for change. I'm going to start with Sapora Berman. Sapora's road to becoming an environmental-turned-climate activist started decades ago. She had just finished her first year of university. I was in fashion arts design. An art history major. I had a dream of going to see the Acropolis, so I went to Greece. She was surprised at what she saw there. It was just literally disintegrating, eroding from pollution and black. And looking down on the city, it was just a thick yellow cloud. And I got back to my hostel that night and I was coughing up black goo. She was traveling with her sister and they decided to explore some nature in Germany, only to find trees that had died from acid rain. I hiked for the next solid day through a standing dead silent forest. When Zipporah got back home to Canada, environmental problems suddenly seemed to be everywhere. When she opened the newspaper, headlines would jump off the page. Logging, deforestation, acid rain. So I dropped out of fashion arts design, and I enrolled in environmental studies at the University of Toronto. And I've been working on advocacy on environmental and climate issues and also policy development for 30 years. Yeah, could all the people who are willing to put themselves in an arrest situation today please move to the front? 
The protesters knew the arrival of police was inevitable, but they were ready. At first, she focused on opposing the logging of old-growth forests. Then one day, a map came across her desk. It illustrated how trees would be lost to wildfires and beetle infestations, both worsened by climate change. And I just had my aha moment. I just decided to leave everything I know and start trying to understand climate change. What you're asking me is when I became a a land defender, but I think I was born into it. White Kwaitap, which means hello everyone. I'm Jihwanach, which is a red hummingbird, and uh, I'm from the unceded territory of Sequatmaulu, which is one of the largest nations in uh, so-called British Columbia, so-called Canada. And uh, I've been a long-time advocate and political leader. Judy Wilson is a vocal advocate for land, for water, and for taking action to mitigate climate change. She was the chief of the Nisconleth Indian Band, and before that, a counselor. She's also worked with the Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs. But her awareness of environment and her work to protect it didn't start there. We always understood when we were growing up that the land sustains us. You know, the land takes care of us and we take care of the land. There's a reciprocal relationship. I'm Dr. Melissa Lem. I'm a Vancouver-based family physician, and I am president of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. I have been advocating at the intersection of nature and health for over a decade. Dr. Melissa Lem didn't really focus on climate change until she had her son in the fall of 2014. I was reading Naomi Klein's book, This Changes Everything, and... Just the way she drew the connections between climate change and capitalism and how profoundly, if we didn't act on climate change, that it would affect our world, it woke me up. And so my son was three months old, and that was the moment I thought, okay, I need to start taking action on this because he's not going to have a healthy future unless I do. So when she and her family moved to BC, she decided it was time for climate action. I think about it every day when I spend time with my son, when I see patients who are having asthma attacks during wildfire smoke. Planetary health is constantly at the top of my mind. For Dr. Melissa Lem, talking publicly about climate change was outside of her comfort zone. So doctors are pretty small-c conservative people. Like, we tend not to, like, to ruffle feathers that much, like the majority of doctors. But working on the board for the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, she started speaking out about natural gas. The majority of natural gas is fracked, and fracking is linked to health problems. Gas stoves in homes can make asthma worse, and the combustion of natural gas contributes to global warming. And so what we did was we uh, planned a campaign where we would uh, buy these massive billboards that pointed out the harmful health effects of natural gas in how we were using it in our everyday lives. 
the campaign made headlines. And Melissa started to speak publicly and to the media more frequently, posting on Twitter, now called X. And that's when it started. I think the most toxicity comes from whenever I post something about fossil fuels or the need for to move away from an industry or an economy based on oil and gas. Like there are climate deniers who come out of the woodwork. Um, Sometimes there's racism involved, you know, saying like I'm some kind of spy for China, which is ridiculous because I was born in Toronto and I love living in this country. There's just a lot of abuse that comes out. There's research backing this up, too, that women tend to be more abused than men, especially racialized women, especially on social media. In July 2023, things got even more tense online. British Columbia was in the middle of its worst wildfire season to date. People living in communities cloaked in smoke were suffering. And there was a boy, Carter Vye, who had asthma, and he ended up dying from an asthma attack, probably brought on by wildfire smoke. And a request came through for me to do an interview about what had happened with Carter I did this interview and I actually remember being quite emotional during the interview because I have a son who's eight years old. Um, And so I could, you know, as a parent, I could see my son in this boy. July 18th. The article was published with this headline. Boy who died from asthma amid wildfire smoke is, quote, face of climate crisis, doctor says. And it got a lot of attention, a lot of negative attention, as these articles typically do. Dr. Melissa Lem became a target. But there was one particular retweet of the article from a prominent person that really unleashed the vitriol against her. I don't know if I want to name names because this person has a really massive and rabid following, but... It was someone who did not agree with her. That just unleashed a huge torrent of abuse, you know, hundreds of comments saying that, that, like... I I should be fired. That doctor should be fired. Uh, You're corrupt and you're compromised. She says that while this was an especially bad instance of online hate, it's not an isolated thing. It's like there are these, you know, these packs of wolves roaming around looking for ways to spread disinformation. I almost can't think of one article that mentions climate change or fossil fuels where some kind of climate denier or some kind of online abuser hasn't commented. And so as I've been interviewed for more things, the abuse just increases. Every single week, I think to myself, I need to say no more. But everything seems so important. You know, I'm a a family physician. The whole point of my work is to help people and to keep people healthy. And so it's hard to say no. There have been... Tons of late nights, um, days on the weekend where I, I have these grand plans to go to the park with my son all day and hang out in the sunshine. But it doesn't happen because I'm answering emails for hours and hours and hours. I do think sometimes, because of how passionate I am about this work, um, that I'm missing my son's childhood. Sorry, I totally have to take a break down because I'm, I'm going to cry. <laughs> We need to take a quick break. Storylines will be right back. 
I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. For Sapor Berman, the vitriol looked a little different, at least at first. She was working for Greenpeace at the time. It was the 90s. She'd been on the front lines, opposing old-growth logging off of the B.C. coast when she received her first threat, a letter. These cut-out newspaper letters threatening to kill me, and it was explicitly um, sexist and also anti-Semitic. I actually got to a point where... The office manager would clear off my voicemail prior to my getting in to work because listening to that every day has a massive impact. Things took a big shift for her in July 2016. Rachel Notley, Alberta's premier at the time, appointed Sapora Berman as part of an oil sands advisory group, along with representatives from industry, indigenous communities, and others. Alberta's opposition party is raising concerns over the appointment of Sapora Berman as co-chair of the province's new oil sands advisory group. Berman is a well-known opponent of the oil sands. In a recent visit to London, she called them the, and this is a quote, the single largest and most destructive industrial project on earth and compared them to Mordor. She was under scrutiny immediately. Right-wing commentators took up the cause. Here's Ezra Levant in a Rebel News video from 2016. Sign our petition at fireberman.ca to let Notley know that we won't take this lying down. We are buying billboards in Alberta, starting in Calgary, for our fireberman.ca campaign. They launched a campaign against me. Full-out websites, billboards, vitriol, a picture of my face on all the billboards. Around this very time, Jason Kenney, who was a federal cabinet minister, began a political bid that would ultimately see him become premier of Alberta under the United Conservative Party. Jason Kenney saw his advantage, I think. He and others in the pro-oil sands movement in Alberta decided that I, I was going to be Premier Notley's Achilles heel, that they could exploit the fact that I had an environmental background and that she had put a, what did they call it, a fox inside the, the hen house. Jason Kenney started criticizing Sapora Berman on social media. For example, in May 2017, he retweeted an oil sands action post with Sapora Berman's photo that said, no facts, all fear. Jason Kenney added, quote, this militant is not open to compromise or dialogue time for the premier to admit this appointment was a mistake and hashtag fire Berman. He was opposed to her stance on the oil sands, her calls to end fossil fuel expansion, and for a gradual phase-out. That's when all of the misogynist attacks and the sexism and the death threats started to increase dramatically. And every time Jason Kenney would make a speech the attacks against me would reach a, uh, a fever pitch. So it was during that period that I started getting some pretty explicit attacks on online and 
and then a couple of calls from people who who said that they you know that they were watching me and that that I was going to be sorry for what I was doing and then would say very explicit sexual things and during one of those calls the person who was calling me described the building I was walking out of and the dress I was wearing Sapora says she did report some of this to the RCMP, but felt she wasn't taken seriously. I asked the RCMP for details on the complaints, but they said they couldn't locate them. In June 2017, Sapora was among five members who were let go from the Oil Sands Advisory Group. Still, she says the harassment continued. She describes an incident at the Edmonton airport when a man grabbed her and shook her. There was media coverage at the time. The RCMP could not find a record of this being reported. Then there was an event in June 2019 at the Alberta government's Canadian Energy Centre. A man named Robbie Picard with a group called Oil Sands Strong took the stage to introduce Jason Kenney, who had recently been elected Premier of Alberta. I believe one of the biggest mistakes ever made in Alberta was hiring Sapporo Berman to the Oil Sands Advisory Committee. Picard stands on stage. Holding up a picture of my head with a cross through it. At an announcement about the new group in Calgary on Friday, a picture of Berman was held up along with her resume. Berman has long been a critic of the oil sands and says since Friday, she's been getting menacing messages over the phone and on social media. And it was that moment when the attacks on me went crazy. It was like our premier had given an open season onto attacking me. And that was terrifying. I asked former Premier Jason Kenney if he takes any responsibility for the abuse Sapora Berman describes. He didn't respond by our deadline. At the time, CBC asked Alberta's then-energy minister, Sonia Savage. No, no, we don't accept responsibility for that. The tone of the war room has always been respectful. It's about correcting misinformation. Sapora advocates for governments around the world to stop approving new fossil fuel projects. So a lot of the opposition, she hears, is about jobs. But she has family in Alberta, and she thinks it goes a lot deeper than that. Fossil fuels aren't just something that we use to heat our homes and to transport ourselves. They've become part of uh, cultural identities that are created. And I think when you challenge those, you challenge all of it, not just the product. In 2013, Kinder Morgan applied to twin the Trans Mountain Pipeline. The expansion would nearly triple the amount of oil being sent from Edmonton to its marine terminal in Burnaby, B.C. Nisconleth, near Kamloops, is on its route. At the time, Judy Wilson was the chief of the Nisconleth Indian Band. It didn't make sense to me, because in our Sequoia territory, it would cross a lot of waterways. And it's really difficult to clean up that heavy bitumen. Why would we risk our water and all that depend on the water, including ourselves, for big oil? In May 2018, the federal government announced it had a deal with Kinder Morgan. It would pay $4.5 billion to buy the pipeline and take over the expansion project. 
In a statement from The Time, the federal government said it would protect, quote, thousands of jobs in Alberta and British Columbia. As a political leader, Judy Wilson was on the front lines and speaking out against this decision. Prime Minister, when you're talking about the United Nations and you're going to go along with the self-determination and the consent, why wasn't that applied with the Trans Mountain Pipeline that's going through 513 kilometers of our territory? There was no consent. This is from 2018, at an Assembly of First Nations meeting. It's not a proper process at all. We have to get to a proper process of consent, Prime Minister. Um, I, I appreciate those words very much, Judy. Thank you for... for, for Judy Wilson says her opposition was not well received by everyone. She describes a six-month period in which she says she started noticing weird things. Oh, I was being followed, like when I was in my vehicle or people were driving me around. So you obviously, you know, and uh, sometimes they would make it obviously that they're following you. And sometimes you just felt somebody was watching you. Uh, And I guess the biggest one for me was that really uh, drove home was when my youngest child said they saw a camouflaged tall person outside my patio at four in the morning, like, why would they be there? Uh, I had a sense people were in my home. She says it seemed like people had gone through her belongings. Like a lot of weird, uh, unusual things like that. She also says her tires were slashed six times during this period. It was hard for her not to connect these things to her activism. She had heard stories from other Indigenous land defenders. A lot of people that stand up for the land or the water or are speaking about the climate crisis, they get targeted. For example, she mentions a group of Indigenous women land defenders who set up an encampment of tiny homes on Sequetmik territory. Like Judy, they were opposing the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. In April 2020, the land defenders say four strangers showed up, quote, unexpectedly and damaged the encampment including ramming a truck into one of the houses. Amnesty International published a letter to the province of B.C. voicing its concerns about the incident. The Human Rights Organization has continued to monitor the safety of Indigenous land defenders. Amnesty says these types of incidents are a trend it's noticing in Canada. Keti Nivyabandi is a secretary general with Amnesty International Canada. We see Indigenous women and also two-spirit and gender-diverse individuals experiencing surveillance, criminalization, and racism. That is accurate to say that they have no avenue, no avenue for protection in uh, police or law enforcement here in Canada. In an email, RCMP Sergeant Kim Chamberlain said police's role, quote, includes protecting protesters' rights to peaceful, lawful, and safe demonstration. Judy started to wonder if what she was experiencing was payback for her vocal opposition to pipelines and fossil fuel expansion. You know, do they connect? Do they not connect? Uh, You just don't know. Judy's kids are older now, but at the time, her youngest child was around 18. At times I say, we're on high alert. And that means locking the doors. 
That means being very diligent on who comes in, who goes out. That means being extra careful. And if they notice anything, to let me know right away. Eventually, she says she had her children and grandson stay somewhere else. I don't know if it was a surprise to them because, you know, I've been involved in so much frontline activity or rallies or, you know, on the news type of thing. And they knew, you know, this backlash, it comes with that territory, right? I asked Judy Wilson if she reported any of these weird incidents to police. She said she didn't at first because she doesn't trust the RCMP. But eventually, she says her employer asked her to go to the RCMP when she started experiencing strange things online and on her phone. I contacted the RCMP. Sergeant Barry Kennedy says Judy Wilson was the victim of an internet scam and says she didn't mention slashed tires or suspicious activity at her home in that complaint. Judy Wilson says there was no real resolution for her. Ultimately, it was her own feelings about everything that changed. I thought, I'm not doing anything wrong, and uh, I'll continue the work I do. And so I don't feel my life is threatened. I have a, a bigger danger of being wiped out from wildfire, from the flooding, from lightning, or from heat dome than any threats that, that could be made to me on my person. Judy Wilson, Sapora Berman, and Dr. Melissa Lem have all stood fast in the face of the threats, the intimidation, and the efforts to silence them that they've described. When the attacks kind of reached a fever pitch, a group of women, who I, some of whom I knew who were my friends, came to me and said, you know, we've got your back. What do you need? And that was amazing, just to have that sense of community. And it has stayed with me to this day. When I see someone, especially a woman or a young woman, being attacked, I reach out. I reach out on Twitter. I reach out. And, and we share stories. And that helps. We definitely have these kinds of conversations because we have so many of the same struggles. Um, yeah. And some of the best advice I've had has come from some of my colleagues who have been through the same sort of thing. But yeah, we have these conversations. We sometimes roll our eyes, sometimes complain, sometimes laugh about things that different people have said and how ridiculous it can sound, but also how it's our job to advocate for these people's health too. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's important to take care of yourself, self-love, of course, self-care, uh, the ceremonies and the prayers and, you know, our medicines that brings the balance to you. And that's how you know about the teachings and the truth. So when you have that, you can stand up to anything. That's all for Storylines this week. This episode was produced by me, Molly Siegel, with support from Matthias Wolfson and Katherine Rolfson. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show. And while you're there, check out my home show, What on Earth, where we explore a world of solutions every week. Hosted by Laura Lynch, it's climate reporting that won't leave you feeling overwhelmed. You can listen to What on Earth wherever you found this podcast. Storylines is produced by AC Rowe. 
The show is part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. I'm Molly Siegel. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.